Hello and welcome to Russians with Attitude. It is day 50 of the war and a lot of things happened since our latest C-trap. The most important thing, of course, is that I bought myself a tobacco pipe. And I gotta say that it's <laughs> kind of hard to uh, huff and puff it. But uh, I guess if I learn how to temper with tobacco, it will be quite nice and the quality is outstanding. But yeah, the most important thing is the near capture of Mariupol. We are gonna focus on that and of course the mental health of its defenders. It's very important to discuss feelings, uh, their hopes and dreams. Other than that, uh, Ukrainian opposition politician, is he a leader of the opposition? Uh, he used to be, yes, uh, leader well, yeah. of the opposition. The former opposition leader in Ukraine, uh, Medvedchuk, is arrested by SBU. Ukrainian Graz shelled a large village in Bryansk oblast, Klimova. Seven were injured. It wasn't actually Graz, it was helicopters. Oh, again, all right. Russian-guided uh, missile cruiser Moskva was damaged by reportedly a Ukrainian missile Neptune, or it was just uh, an ammunition explosion that made it uh, go on fire. I believe uh, as of now it's yet unclear what actually yes, happened. Or, yes, or it hit a mine, one of the mines that were uh, that the Ukrainians um, put uh, in front of Odessa port or the Odessa coastline and. That then drifted away from a storm and are now drifting all over the Black Sea and are causing all sorts of problems for everyone who is involved in the Black Sea. Right. So we really don't know. The only thing that we do know so far is that the Moskva has not sunk. It is damaged. We don't know to what extent. And the crew has mm -hmm. been evacuated. Most of the crew has been evacuated. And yeah, that's... Uh, about everything we know for sure. Ironically, it is the same ship that participated in the capture of the Snake Island and got told to fuck off by its valiant defenders. A perfect story, right? Manufactured mm -hmm. in some British PR agency that just doesn't seem to stop. It will ever exist throughout this whole conflict. The Snake Island, the Russian warship. Yeah, you, you know, they, they actually gave uh, the guy who supposedly said this phrase, a medal in Kiev. Yeah. And, and I don't understand what the medal is for. Because supposedly he... For cursing. Refused, he refused to surrender and died in battle. But he didn't. He went to Kiev. And he respawned he... in Kiev. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, yeah. Uh, well, actually, the British PR, and they have a certain uh, style of doing things, right? And the annexation of uh, Crimea by Russia in 2014 also was kind of in the same style of the Russian worship uh, fuck off. Uh, it was just so seamless, uh, so beautiful. The uh, Natalia Paklonskaya, Nyash Myash, uh, well, <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, and <laughs> uh, the Snake Island story, a total nothing burger, as Cardin <laughs> says, also uh, became the, such a prominent part of Ukrainian propaganda. But let's discuss the fall or near fall of Mariupol. Uh, actually, let's do a little fact-checked game. I repeat a popular claim and we will explain if it's true or not. 
I was an intern at uh, PolitiFacts, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, a lot of people seem to believe that Ukrainian civilians are taken by Russians to remote cities in Siberia. People think this because they don't know that there was a conflict in Ukraine before 2022 and they don't know that Mariupol is the largest and most pro-Russian the largest pro-Russian city that uh, stayed under Ukrainian control. Uh, the whole thing about Mariupol and why Azov is even there is that in 2014 um, the people there rose up Uh, there was a huge anti-Maidan movement in Mariupol, um, which was very violently suppressed in uh, spring and summer of 2014. And especially when the Donetsk troops uh, pulled back after being told to by Moscow. And that's when Azov entered Mariupol and started massacring civilians. They had a whole uh, secret prison in Mariupol where they put pro-Russian activists and basically Mariupol is a super pro-Russian city uh, which you can already tell by the fact that there were humanitarian corridors in both directions both to Kiev-controlled and Russian-controlled territory and something like 99% went to Russian-controlled territory. It's not surprising that the people from Mariupol who are Russians and pro-Russian um, that they went to Russia That's and some uh, of them the, went to Siberia and then the probably because of they have relatives there yeah yeah <laughs> the mm. only, uh, yeah people actually in the west uh, don't even understand how relocation works they go to their relatives because they have nothing so yeah a lot of them in the urals uh, i heard uh, some stories of donbas recent donbas uh, refugees uh, this whole month actually uh, mm -hmm. so yeah okay another weird story that you might have heard of is that uh, american general was uh, captured in mariupol but uh, there was no proof of it so it was also false yeah the whole thing about mariupol is a bit weird so yes the reports of an american general captured are probably wrong um just like before when it was uh, said that a french general uh, a nato general of french ethnicity was captured in mariupol but i think actual presence of um, westerners is more or less confirmed uh, i don't mean volunteers like the British guy who surrendered um, a few days ago but um, I mean like real NATO officers and I think that uh, to a large extent I mean it's a bit uh, like conspiracy theory territory but that's nothing new for us um, I think that uh, a significant part of the negotiations in Istanbul and Macron's and um, Erdogan's uh, interest in Mariupol were specifically because there is NATO personnel caught up in the events in the city who for whatever reason can't leave. I, I, I really don't know why they didn't leave. Um, either they have a specific mission and they have to stay there or which I think it's more likely they are um, being kept hostage by Azov as a get out of jail mm -hmm. card to use uh, when uh, the defense finally fails which I think is more likely. But of course, we don't have proof of anything. We don't have hard proof, but um, a lot of stuff I've uh, heard that some of that um, 
Russians are listening in on radio communications in Mariupol and uh, those are a lot of those are happening in uh, foreign languages in English and French from what I heard. Uh, supposedly some of the Western uh, personnel there reached out to Russians not in uh, like not speaking for the Ukrainian troops but just speaking for themselves to negotiate um, but yeah. I don't think that anyone will tell us it would probably all be solved through backdoor diplomacy and um yeah they won't tell us i guess how many of the azov guys uh, still survived in uh, azov style i think it's somewhere around 1000 maybe well i don't know specifically how many azov guys there were but the garrison of mariupol was between 15 and 20000 they lost between 14 and 19,000 uh, people who were either killed, heavily wounded, or succumbed to the wounds, uh, deserted. A lot of them uh, deserted and fled, uh, dressed as civilians, especially the regular soldiers, not Azov, but Azov guys too. Uh, uh, that's why they, the Donetsk People's Militia established checkpoints uh, outside Mariupol to check fleeing guys for uh, tattoos, for Azov tattoos. Yeah, some of them were caught. People are probably dying to sickness, maybe thirst and hunger by now as well. Um, so yeah, it's a huge loss. And if you think about it, um, the Ukrainian army lost more, had more casualties, all casualties together in Mariupol than they even claim, even the inflated claims about the Russian overall casualties. So yes, that's pretty significant. Yeah, Azov and Chechens are really lost brothers because <laughs> they are seriously overhyped. Everyone in the world uh, right now knows about uh, Azov, which is not that uh, large as people made it, make it mm, out to be. It is. Um, it's not a cohesive unit. There, there are Azov units all over the front lines. There, are, there is Azov in Kharkiv, mm, and there is Azov in Donbas. There is Azov in Mariupol. There are Azov guys in Kiev, supposedly a lot of them. So it's uh, like it used to be a battalion, now it's a regiment. Now but it's like an anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Is Azov now. yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like it is a bit like anonymous or I don't know, Al Qaeda or <laughs> whatever, in the sense that people can just say that they are Azov. I wonder. Supposedly. If it's uh, the coolest thing in the world for 15-year-old boys in Ukraine to become part of Azov, to join it when they grow up. They are being hyped up as these uh, huge heroes of Ukraine. Um, the leader of Azov Regiment, Prokopienko, was recently given the Hero of Ukraine title by Zelensky. Mm, but yes, Mariupol is more or less over. It's uh, mostly uh, a cleanup operation they are mopping up the last resistance in Azovstal there is a lot of talk about what to do with Azovstal um, maybe you heard that uh, a few days ago they falsely claimed that there was a chemical attack in Mariupol like I don't know like ISIS did in Syria whenever they'd lose a battle they would say that they are being attacked with chemical weapons like Azovstal is uh, the largest factory in Ukraine it's a whole city made of cement more or less it's very hard to bump it out also there are bunkers beneath the structures there are like four or five underground levels and there are 
uh, nuclear bunkers for which were built by the Soviets for uh, World War III. There have been attempts by Russian OSINT generals to locate the main forces of Azov. They have uh, supposedly found uh, one bunker where they probably, a lot of them are located, but well, it's hard to know for sure. So it's, you can't just like throw a lot of bombs onto it and um, solve this situation. So they have to fluff them out somehow. There have been uh, discussions, I've seen uh, public discussions on uh, Russian Telegram channels, uh, including like people who are involved in the operation, what to do, like flooding it with seawater, or a version that has been gaining a lot of traction in the last days is uh, people are coming, came up with the idea to flood uh, the basements of Azov style with sewage to drown Azov in Navos. I wonder so. how much of food do they still have? Uh, well, I heard about some helicopters uh, going back and forth uh, under the radars. Uh, well, we don't know about that. We only know about the ones that were shot down. So, oh, like, yeah. the, there is a there supposedly... That, uh, they, yeah, there yeah. are rumors, but we don't know that for sure. But uh, I don't know how much food they have. Um, it's hard to say, really, but... They yeah, are certainly they, in, the, yeah. in, in the apocalyptic phase now. Uh, let's continue the fact-checking mission. So let's switch our attention to Bucha, but not uh, that much, because we don't want to get banned again. Majority, absolute majority of Ukrainians now seem to believe that uh, the Russian mission in, in Bucha and Irpeni was to uh, loot the incredibly wealthy uh, Ukrainian houses made of clay uh, and uh, to steal the toilets, the dog food, uh, kill the dogs, uh, eat them and stuff like that. Uh, SBU is uh, manufacturing some uh, fake phone calls as if Russian soldiers <laughs> are calling from their regular phones uh, back to the Orkish mm -hmm. Siberia. And they, they do it so poorly, the imitation of those phone calls, because they can't keep just, they can't really act. Uh, they always put some weird line, like, well, Ukrainians are so wealthy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Russians are so stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They always have a, a phrases like, I mean, I'm Russian, of course, I'm going to steal and uh, stuff like this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in it's our really blood. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, of course, the Western powers, a lot of uh, Westerners also uh, believe that. So, In a way, I'm really disappointed, because you would think that war propaganda would become more sophisticated over time, well, yeah. right? Well, like, you have all these uh, PR ag agencies now, people, like, with master's degrees in propaganda, but no, it's the same shit as 300 years ago, and it works just as well. Like, you have... 20,000 people retweeting like an anonymous voice recording where a guy with a Ukrainian accent says shit like, I'm a Russian soldier, I envy Ukrainian beauty and excellence, and my inferior org genes compel me to steal forks and eat dog. Like, what <laughs> the fuck? Yeah, especially I like the parts about the toilet, because... I, I'm not sure how it's logistically sound to steal the toilets and to, <laughs> to bring machines. them back. It's also yeah. a meme. 
for Ukrainians. And Ukrainians know quite well what the real financial, economical situation in Russia is, because just uh, a lot of them, millions of them, were uh, or still are basically gastarbeiters in Russia, right? So mm-hmm. they know perfectly well. Well, they have an argument against that. Russians are mocking those claims about the toilets and stuff like that, but Ukrainians have a perfect retort. Well, yeah, in Moscow, maybe they have toilets, but (laughs) outside of it, they don't. So Ukrainian psychology reminds me of a a crazy stalker or uh, some envious family that always discusses and exaggerates everything bad that happens to their rival family. So Mm -hmm. they're constantly ignoring their own uh, downfalls and just uh, focus on Russian. I really don't know how they can function in the in this style, but they do. And I also realize that Ukrainians believe, they have a certain belief uh, that fuels them and gives them hope. Not support from the West and not some unique Greco-Catholic Tsugul identity either. Uh, Ukrainian propaganda calls Russians cruel and bread orcs, but if regular people from FAU battalions actually believe that, they would surrender immediately or flee the country. Uh, but they don't. Uh, on the contrary, they believe that Russians are an overly civilized breed of orcs, and they are governed by a corrupt elite of noviops, who will betray Russian forces sooner or later. This is why Mariupol defenders have dug in so fiercely, uh, because they believed until the last moment that some bumbling fool from the Russian government like Medinsky or some shady oligarch mm-hmm. like Deripaska will somehow manipulate Putin into calling it quits, lifting the blockade and leaving Ukraine, just like it happened um, uh, in Bucha in Irpin. Well, uh, you might call it a maneuver, big aero war, but for Ukrainian side, uh, this is their only hope they had, because they knew quite well that they will never take Bucha by assaulting it. So mm-hmm. they believe in Russian corruption and uh, actually the lack of uh, Russian national spirit is the only thing that really fuels them. Yeah, that's right. But in Mariupol it didn't work. <laughs> uh, I, I can imagine how happy they were in the like 31st of March uh, when they heard about Irpenian Bucha that uh, Russians are leaving. Mm. They they thought that it will happen also in Mariupol. And they get to uh, manufacture some nice uh, narratives about like Russians ate all the dogs and stuff like that. Yeah, they still have this huge dissonance which is in part justified, in part, um, that in their propaganda they are fighting an apocalyptic battle against the forces of evil who are trying to eradicate all of humanity. Like, this is what they sincerely believe. But they also sincerely believe that the Russians are somehow not serious about the war and uh, will not actually fight the war like a war. So it's super weird. Well, because they actually know what Russians actually are. Like they have two conflicting programs in the brain, right? Yes, yes, that's true. I mean, you can tell by their behavior. Like in the like in Melitopol and Kherson, you had like fifty or a hundred Ukrainian nationalists like protesting, and 
these people supposedly believe that Russians are engaged in a genocide in Ukraine right now, right? That is the official line of the Ukrainian government, that the Russians are uh, prosecuting a genocide against Ukrainians. But at the same time, they feel comfortable uh, running on the street with Ukrainian flags and beating on Russian tanks with their fists because they know that they will not get shot. They know that they will not get massacred. But I guess that's propaganda for you. It only works when you have double thing. Well, yeah. And so it always bothers me when some half pot on Washington Post, whatever, uh, call Russian media Russian propaganda machine or something of this nature because can't really spot the machine part, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. there are some uh, media, there are some sites, news channels, Telegram, but it's not a machine. It's not. <laughs> it's really inferior to Ukrainian one, if anything. That's mm -hmm. why. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people in Russia don't really listen to like state propagandists or take them seriously. People like some uh, underground voices, like. Strelkov or Padalyaka. Padalyaka is the new military researcher or, or <laughs> YouTube blogger. Ukrainian. He uh, was born in Sumy and moved to Russia in 2014. And now I think he's the most popular blogger for Russian boomers and Ukrainian boomers also. Uh, people love the guy. Have you seen uh, the Telegram post where they looked at Google Trends and showed... Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the Ukraine is split between Aristovich yeah. and Padalyaka. Aristovich is yes, also uh, the new charismatic like opinion leader in for the central and western Ukraine. For the south, uh, western and eastern Ukraine, it's Yuri Padalyaka. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, it almost perfectly maps on like a historical Novorossiya and uh, like Sumska Oblast and Kharkiv. Well, yeah, so Russians and Ukrainians know not to trust, like, official media. And they always, uh, mm -hmm. like, some shabby guy who just uh, paints some errors on the map. You know, I think we should do, like, a separate episode on some of the people on the Ukrainian side, like Aristovich. Uh, he's, probably he, non he's, great. he's probably not worth the whole episode, but he has a super strange biography and he's, he's like... I don't even know how to describe it. Well, like they, uh, let's do a short uh, version. He was so born in, in Georgia, of course. Yes, like every proper <laughs> every Ukrainian politician. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he has a very weird biography. He was also engaged in KVN, I believe, but it's not. He is a trained biologist and psychologist, but also a theologian. Yeah. Like, He had a business of doing like psychological seminars and trainings. And um, so, yeah, it's also weird. He also uh, worked at the um, GUR, the main directorate of intelligence, and is a major of the reserve and graduated Odessa Military Academy as a military translator. And like uh, it's like it's what the fuck <laughs> yeah he, he he kind of reminds me of you know who he reminds me of um god what was his name the american psyops guy uh, the satanist uh, michael aquino uh he became famous especially famous after 
the video of his predictions of uh, on the war in 2019. Mm-hmm. Ru- Russians and Ukrainians love such prophecies, right? Uh, such incredible predictions of uh, whatever nature. And yeah, uh, it was quite close to truth. But uh, as some uh, others rightly put it, uh, a lot of drunken VDV guys also shouted that they will uh, go to war with Ukraine every single <laughs> uh, VDV anniversary. So, yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah, every Ukrainian politician uh, advisor is really sh- has a really shady biography of uh, they engaged in theology, KVN, they are Mormons, they're Georgians, they all of that uh, combined. So a couple of days ago, some thousand Ukrainian soldiers have surrendered. Yes, uh, these were probably... They were probably... actually located. They were not from Azovstal, right? No, no, they were at the Ilyich factory. Mm-hmm. Um, as I believe that this was the rest of the 36th Marines Brigade. Uh, there were already two mass surrenders before that. Uh, one was 200, around 250, the other around 160 soldiers. And then I guess uh, the rest of the Marines also decided to surrender. Altogether around 1,000, possibly more. Um, a lot of them were wounded. So they were in a situation where it's not really possible to uh, organize resistance out of food. Um, out of out of munition, and I think uh, actually that the, the guy was the British guy was among them. Among the so, injured? No, uh, among the the Marines who surrendered. Like he was ah, not I with see. Azov, he was with the Marines. Mm-hmm. From what I can tell. Well, he was not racially pure enough. Clearly, <laughs> is he Indian or Pakistani? I don't think so. Oh. Actually, when uh, we followed 2014 conflict in Donbass, there were much more uh, foreign mercenaries, if I remember correctly. Uh, Azov is still Azov has still a lot of a lot of foreigners. Um, I've seen estimates of up to 40 percent of Azov in Mariupol, maybe uh, not Ukrainians. Like, of course, a lot of them are Russians. Yeah, Russian neo-Nazis. They overwhelmingly support uh, Ukraine, um, but also Croatians, uh, French, German, Americans, uh, a lot of fugitives from the law who are being, uh, well, who have trouble with law enforcement because of either violent crimes or extremism or stuff like this. It's true also for LNR, the, the NR site, a lot of uh, Russian few uh, criminals uh, also went there well in 2014 yes yeah back yes. then right but now since the battle for mariupol is more or less at its conclusion uh, the focus is shifting to donbass a lot of things are happening and will be happening i think one battle uh, that is not talked about enough is the battle for papasne papasne is a small city town in uh, Lugansk Oblast. Uh, it's uh, located like if you drew a straight line between Donetsk and Lugansk it's uh, almost in the middle but a bit north like north of Dibaltsovo. 
the battle there has basically been raging for a month. If I remember correctly, the first reports of fighting at Papasne were from March 12th. And the battle is important because uh, for several reasons. First of all, Popasna itself is it's located on high ground. So it's of strategic importance. It allows some control over Papasna, allows uh, uh, to shoot at and see a wide area in all directions. But the uh, other uh, point, more important point, is that logistics. Because if... Uh, Donbass and Russian troops took control of Popasne, it would become possible to reach uh, Bakhmut or Artyomovsk, as it is uh, called by the Donbass authorities, which would uh, allow to link up to Slavyansk and Kramatorsk, which is especially important since uh, Russian troops are now also advancing on Slavyansk from the north, and from both from the northeast and the northwest, because uh, just... Uh, Around a week ago, I think, the town of Tierny was taken, which is uh, south of Makevka. And now I'm seeing reports that there is heavy fighting at Liman. Liman, of course, is northeast of Slovensk, and there are also Russian troops advancing on the M3 highway from Izum towards Slovensk which has been the whole point of the Izum offensive. Um, they have now moved beyond Kaminka and are now fighting in uh, Suchaya. Suchaya Kaminka, which is not far away from Slovensk. It's, uh, I don't know, it's like 25 kilometers, maybe 30 kilometers. It's very close to Slovensk and Liman is still closer. So there are already advances on Slovensk from two sides and the battles for Papasne would be a third direction, which uh, would allow for semi-encirclement. So, right. It would also, of course, uh, disrupt the supply of the AFU in Donbass. In addition, um, Papasne is like on the alignment line of Rubezhne, Severodonetsk and Lysychansk. So it would uh, make the front line straight to take Papasne straight out the front line, which is uh, quite important. Popasna itself is, from the Ukrainian side, defended by the 24th Separate Brigade, Mechanized Brigade, which is a brigade from Lvov, and most of the soldiers are from Western and Central Ukraine. They have a lot of tanks, field artillery, mortars, heavy armored vehicles, and anti-tank weapons there, and uh, probably a lot of books for anti-air as well. There are also um, paramilitary units of the right sector there who are uh, providing morale support, so to speak. The battle has been going on for a month now, which is a super long time for such a small city. But the main difficulty in uh, taking Papasnaya has been that the AFU has deeply echelon defenses there. So they have platoon level, strongholds, dugouts, they have engineering barriers, they have a lot of minefields, tunnels, uh, trenches, and all of this has been built up for eight years. Of course, under, uh, with help from NATO instructors as well. Even on civilian map services like Google, you can clearly see how heavily fortified Papasne is. Especially on the 
southern side where you have a lot of fortification with firing positions for armored vehicles as well as um, a very extensive system of communication between the different strong points uh, which also allows for uh, semi-stealthy maneuvering of armored vehicles that are parked in the woods which makes it hard to spot them from the air of course uh, which um, yeah there are also normal civilian roads running between the strong points which uh, allow for movement of reinforcements basically in every direction and of course um, there's the railroad there are highways and all this makes it possible to deliver a lot of weapons and ammunition and provisions and north of uh, Popasna, there is an extensive network of water barriers so natural protection basically rivers and stuff that are hard to cross um, Popasna itself is mostly like uh, private uh, private buildings low-rise buildings and a few high-rise residential buildings like a few DVT Tashkas in the eastern part of Popasne. Um, yeah but of course low-rise buildings are also um, hard to take requiring like storming them room by room and stuff like this which slows down the advances um, right so Popasne uh, will be very difficult the situation is difficult uh, the fighting is super difficult but uh, the russian side is throwing more forces at it um, there is not only the lugansk people's militia but also russian artillery uh, chechen rosguardia and according to some reports um, there are people from the wagner pmc also fighting at papasna Right. Well, so basically, it uh, sounds and looks like it will be a very long war, and it's uh, turning into some kind of Afghanistan scenario. Well, it's not Afghanistan because Ukraine doesn't have mountains. It's not possible. An Afghanistan well, scenario is not possible in Ukraine. Yes, but <laughs> not where the heavy fighting is right now. Well, yeah. So to f- finish off the uh, mm-hmm. like uh, excursion into Popasne. The control of this town is crucial for the entire military operation in Donbass. Um, of course, uh, World War II comparisons are always wrong and uh, misguided. But I think in purely logistical and strategic terms, um, Papasne can be compared to like a micro Stalingrad. There are well-trained and well-equipped units fighting on both sides um it's a logistical center that is about to be encircled and um yeah it will basically help collapse the complete front lines in uh, Donbass, especially and the fact that uh victory in one of the three directions so liman Kaminka and papasne at least at one maybe at two or at all is expected is uh, also shown by the fact that the shelling and airstrikes against Kramatorsk and Artyomsk Bakhmut or like well the Ukrainians have renamed the city Bakhmut which is also its historical name the Soviets called it Artyomsk and uh, there was um, an executive order by the Donbass governments that all renamings by the Ukrainians would be taken back and all 
towns would receive the names that they had uh, in 2014. So that's why uh, you can see the city being called alternatively Bakhmut and Tarjomovsk. They're being hit very hard today, uh, just Chasov as well, which is a bit uh, west of Artyomovsk. Uh, supposedly it was hit by airstrikes so hard that the whole town was shaking. There was a large AFU base there. So yeah, we are seeing the beginning of um, the battle for Donbass, as many are already calling it. And yeah, that will be... Quite a task. Yeah, it will also be quite a task to to make Americans interested in all those village names <laughs> in Eastern Ukraine. <laughs> because, uh, yeah. And also, a lot of people asked us about some book wrecks, uh, like the modern Russian literature. We were all, always uh, hesitant about it, because it's not as good as uh, the classical. But uh, there is a book by uh, Viktor Pilevin, which is eerily similar to what's happening right now. It's called Snuff. Snuff, it's about uh, a post-apocalyptic world where people live in a poor country called Urkaina. There is a capital city, Slava. Above it, there is an artificial flying city called Big Byzantium. In Urkaina, there are always some uh, small conflicts. This artificial city uh, bombs Urkaina every single day. There are like uh, drones, media drones that film all of this uh, for entertainment. Uh, the main guy is the pilot of this media drone. The citizens of Urkaina are called orcs. So, a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff from the snuff uh, came to reality hmm. also i, I th think the po most popular question is uh, that not a lot of people pre super predictors even can answer when will the war end i, I think that my previous prediction and not mine it's a very popular one about victory parade that it's uh, gonna be held in peacetime. I think it's not gonna happen. I think uh, the war will not end before with the victory day. So, do nah, you have any thoughts won't. about that? Um, well, as I said, it's hard because basically the Russian side can, both the Russian side and the NATO side, can increase the intensity of fighting at any time because it's nowhere uh, like near the maximum of what it could be. Um, at any moment, NATO can decide to try to send a lot of uh, fancy stuff into Ukraine and not the, the trash from the warehouses. Um, at any moment, Russia can decide to take the gloves off and uh, put the strategic bombers in the air. I don't know, uh, there's a lot of things that can happen. And at the current tempo, it's really hard to say. You know, uh, since the Moskva, it's uh, not lost, but damaged. We don't know for how long it will be damaged. <clears throat> it was one of the guarantees, basically, that any naval landing would be successful. Because it would be able to provide covering fire against, uh, well, almost everything for the landing ships. And um, so now... 
the chances of a successful naval landing, if one was even planned, um, are lower. At the same time, um, the Moskva being heavily damaged makes it more important to capture Nikolaev and Zaporozhye. Especially Nikolaev, because it has the um, the Black Sea shipyard, the Black Sea shipyard and the Nikolaev shipyard, uh, which uh, used to be the most um, one among the most important shipyards in the Soviet Union. So basically, uh, like repairing or bringing the Black Sea fleet up to speed and uh, bringing the Black Sea fleet into the 21st century would almost require taking control of Nikolaev for its shipbuilding uh, yeah, industry. Moskva, the warship Moskva was also built in Nikolaev. Yes. Like absolute majority of uh, Soviet warships. And Zaporozhye because it produces uh, turbines that are necessary mm-hmm. in large ships. So it's a bit ironic that, uh, you, I mean, if we assume that it was the Ukrainians who damaged it, which is, of course, likely, um, then they have basically, they are basically forcing Russia to take control of Nikolaev and Zaporozhye, even if that wasn't the plan before. It's kind but of insane n- that uh, throughout Soviet times, uh, Ukraine was made out to be some maritime superpower, basically. Uh, and Russia, <laughs> RSFSR, was uh, virtually landlocked, right? Before mm-hmm. 2014, that's why we never really modernized our fleet, because not enough ports, not enough shipyards. Uh, the only way out is through, through Bosphor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although I believe both the Baltic and uh, um, the Northern and the Pacific fleet are in better shape than the Black Sea fleet. The Black Sea Fleet has been neglected for since '91, basically because, well, because of no Crimea. Yeah, Crimea is not enough. Yeah, Nikolaev is mm-hmm. of much importance. Uh, so let's hope that Russia will modernize uh, its fleet. I mean, and of course, Russia has never been a major naval power. Yeah, <laughs> it's always been a land-based country with a land-based military victories yeah we need uh, a new ushakov that's mm. our only hope you're okay i think that's enough for sea um, trap no mm, i think uh, oh, one thing uh-huh. today's ukrainian attacks in russian territory right uh, they have not stopped uh, there has been another attack in uh, Belgorodskoye Oblast, in Belgorod Oblast, and in Bransk Oblast. So they have been using Graz and uh, the helicopter attack in uh, Bransk Oblast. The governor of Bransk Oblast says that up to 100 uh, civilian homes have been damaged by the Ukrainian attack. It's One might, uh, might ask, uh, where is uh, Russian air defenses? Why don't they work? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it is really super hard to detect a low-flying helicopter. It is basically impossible because radar filters them out. Uh, To a radar system, there is no difference between a helicopter that flies very low and like uh, a truck. So they just filter it out. So, yeah, it's hard. And, of course, the village that was attacked... uh, it's right on the border. It's like 
less than 10 kilometers or so yeah 12 i believe yeah 12 really close but there is another way of dealing with this problem is to kick the ukrainians uh, from the border yes (laughs) yes of course yes of course so yeah i don't know i don't know uh, just yesterday, the Russian government has announced that if the Ukrainians keep attacking Russian territory, then there will be strikes against what they call decision-making centers in Ukraine, including Kiev, which to me sounds like government facilities. So, yeah, I don't. I guess we'll see if they make good on their threats or not. Also, the return of Zelensky to Kiev uh, and the insanely good uh, PR scheme of Boris Johnson also strolling around in Kiev. Claims that Zelensky was not in Kiev this whole time before he returned uh, mm-hmm. are now not interesting to anybody because they saw him walking around with Boris Johnson. I think it's a huge boost for morale. Uh, Zelensky not having to resort to green screen for <laughs> once. And uh, yeah, the Brits are insanely interested in this conflict. Uh, I think yes, more than very much so, much more than, than anyone else in Europe. Final words about the state of Russian military. I think it can be described as пока гром не грянет, мужик не перекрестится. Which yeah, could be exactly. translated as uh, a peasant needs uh, thunder to cross himself and wonder <laughs> something like that so yeah i think this is enough for the suit rep uh, we will uh, try to make uh, more of them and uh, also i promise you that we will make a bulgakov based episode th- uh, this april so expect yes. that uh, the big literary episode not about some ukrainian villages in the east which are also <laughs> interesting Thank you for listening and see you soon.